If you haven't already received the communion emblems for later on, uh, please let Brother Clemens perhaps know in the back if you haven't received already one of these small bags with the cup and the, and the cracker that's inside because after today's sermon message, we will observe communion together. So if you don't already have that, just let Clemens know there in the back and he'll be glad to uh, make sure you have one of those for later on. All right, well, it's good to have all of you here in the sanctuary today. It's good to see everyone here today. It's good to have you uh, with us. We're going to go into, once again, into our series, the Romans, and we're going to look at one verse today. We're going to read from Romans chapter 1, verse 17. If you want to go ahead and prepare your Bibles and your phones and your iPads uh, to that portion of Scripture. We'll actually read last, last, last time we were in Romans, we were on verse 16. And today, just to put it all in context, we will read verse 16 and 17, but we are going to focus on just that one verse, verse 17. Today's sermon is titled, Who Can Stand Before God? Who Can Stand Before God? And so if you'll find that portion of Scripture, Romans chapter 1, there at verse 16 and 17, and when you have found it, would you please stand with me as I read this for all of us here today? Verse 16 and verse 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. God, I pray right now as we consider this wonderful verse. God, I pray that today's message will not be confusing to anyone. Help us to understand what the Spirit is speaking today. Open our hearts and help us to understand and help us to respond to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Who can stand before God? Just as an introduction, I want to give you two pictures to consider as we move into today's message. One picture from way back in the Old Testament and a picture of a day that is still yet to come. One picture is this, when God called Israel out of Egypt and he led them into the wilderness and brought them to Mount Sinai. He then spoke to Moses and said to him to tell all the people of Israel to get ready and to prepare because God himself is going to descend on that mountain of Sinai. And he's calling all the people to stand before him there. And so Moses told the people this, and for three days they prepared themselves as best they could. They took a bath. They washed all their clothing to, to make it as clean as possible. They made themselves ready in their minds and in their hearts, preparing for this day to come. And when that third day came, they looked at the mountain. It was covered with thick darkness, smoke. There was lightning. There was thunder. And the entire mountain was shaking. And the Bible says that these people came to stand before the glory of God. 
But when they saw all these things, and they began to hear God speaking out of that thick darkness as he descended on the mountain, the Bible says they stood afar. In other words, they took several steps backward. Why? Because in the presence of the glory and the holiness of God, I believe it became so real to them that they were sinners attempting to stand in the presence of the most holy God. And they were terrified. They were shaking in fear. They trembled and they took steps back. Oh, who can stand before God? The other picture is a day that is yet to come. In the book of Revelation, it says that God will raise the dead. Not his people. We've already been risen by this time. But the dead, the wicked dead, will be raised to meet God at the judgment throne. And at the face of Almighty God, all of heaven and all of earth will seek to flee away, but there will be no hiding place for anyone. And the dead will stand before God, the Bible says, and they will be judged. And when you read that revelation from John, that vision, you find that all these people have one thing in common. One thing. All these people that now stand before God, they thought that their works of life were good enough to prepare them for such a day. They thought by their own efforts and their good works and all their deeds that they would be able to stand before God and be accepted. But what happens to them? They are judged and found guilty. Guilty of sin. And the Bible says that those people who thought they could stand, God casts them into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. And the Bible calls that a second death. Picture those two things today, if you, if you can. And consider the question that the psalmist asks in Psalm 130, verse 3. I might be having trouble with my slides. Clemens, if you can flip to the next slide. Psalm 130, verse 3 says this, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities... In other words, if you should look upon us and see that sin that is within us, if you should call into, into our presence that we are sinners, if we are sinners before you, God, then, oh Lord, who could stand? Who could stand before you? And that is a question we should all ask. Lord, if you are to see us in our sins, then who can stand before God? Today we're going to talk about the righteousness of God. The righteousness. And again, this will be something that Paul continues to build upon in the book of Romans. So I can't tell you everything about this today, but we'll at least see some things about the righteousness of God. But just simply put, we can begin like this. What is it when the Bible says that God is righteous? Or what is the righteousness of God? When you see those words... It's to point out the fact that God is holy. Holy. That God cannot even look upon sin. God is an all-consuming fire, and He's glorious. And He gives no room for sin. God hates sin. 
It is completely against who he is. He's righteous. It means that he is holy. He is glorious. He is perfect. And everything that he does, he is right. He's right. All of his judgments, all of his decisions, all of his works are right. Now, sometimes if he does something and we say, well, I, I disagree with that. Well, guess what? If you disagree with it, you're in the wrong because God is righteous and everything he does is right. And even if you don't see the right about it today, maybe in a day to come when all is revealed to you, you will say, oh God, forgive me for thinking you made a mistake. Forgive me for thinking you did something wrong because now I know you are indeed righteous and everything you do is right. All his works, all his judgments, they are right. So here's the question. Who can stand before such a God? Or in other words, if God is holy and righteous and glorious, how can a man or a woman be made right with God? To be accepted by God. Who can stand before God? And as we consider verse 17 today, just as we did with verse 16, because these two verses are really the the whole theme of the book of Romans. So when we looked at verse 16, we saw that Paul mentioned three facts about God and about the letter that he's writing. He talked about the gospel of Christ, the power of God, and the salvation of believers. In verse 17, he's going to talk about righteousness, faith, and life. And all these things he will continue to expound upon as we read through the book of Romans. So today, considering, considering just verse 17, we're going to look at number one, righteousness, number two, faith, number three, life. Let's begin. Who can stand before God? Number one, righteousness. And I'm still having trouble if you can help me out up there. Righteousness. In Romans chapter 1, verse 17, let's read that again. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Look at that again. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. In it. In what? What is the it of this verse? Well, remember in verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for in it is the power of God, or it is the power of God. Now when he says, for in it, he's speaking still about the gospel of Jesus Christ. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. That word revealed is a wonderful verse in the New Testament. Like from the book of Revelation, it's the same word. It means to reveal and to open wide the curtains as though there's something behind the curtain that we don't quite see yet. We don't quite know yet. And then God pulls away the curtain and now we see something wonderful. And for this verse, what is God revealing? His righteousness. And it's not that God never showed righteousness in the Old Testament. 
I mean, when you read about the law of God, when the prophets spoke the word of God, when Israel went to Mount Sinai, over and over we see these glimpses of the righteousness of God. Almost like in the veil, there's a little crack in that veil and you can sort of open it a little bit and just see a little bit of the righteousness of God. But in the gospel, God pulls back the veil and we see righteousness in its fullest sense. In the gospel, we have the full revelation of the righteousness of God. And this revealing of God's righteousness, God is declaring two things to us. Number one, who he is. Number two, what he gives. And in the revealing of God's righteousness, who God is and what God gives, if this is revealed in the gospel, in the gospel of Jesus, which is that even though we are sinners, deserving of judgment and wrath and hell, that God sent his only son into the world to live a perfect life and then to be crucified on the cross and to take upon himself your sin. He died in your place. He took upon himself your punishment. And after he died, he rose again on the third day. Do you remember we talked about the gospel is all about Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. Therefore, look carefully at what this is saying. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. He's showing us two things, who he is and what he gives. Now, if this is revealed in the gospel and the gospel is all about Jesus, therefore, when we see Jesus, we see who God is and we see what God gives. Are you with me? Who God is. The Bible says, like in the book of Hebrews, that yes, God in times past, he spoke at various times and in various ways to the prophets of the Old Testament and gave them glimpses of his glory and, and of his will and of his, of his sovereignty and of his grace and mercy. But then Hebrews says, but in these last days, God has spoken once and for all. In the fullest sense of the world, word, he has spoken to us by his son. It's as though God is saying through Jesus, you want to know who I am? You want to know about me? Then look at my son. Because everything you see in the son is what you'll find in the father. In the Gospel of John, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it says that that Word, that man, that, that person of God came into this world and took upon himself human flesh, Jesus. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, I came to reveal the Father, who he is and what he gives. Jesus came to reveal God to us so that everything you would ever want to know about God, just look at Jesus and you'll see it. This righteousness and glory and perfection, it's all found in the man, Jesus Christ. Before his crucifixion, he was with his disciples 
and he was talking about going away because he knew he was about to die, rise from the dead, and go back to where he came from, the throne of God. And he's talking about going back to his father's house. And he was telling them about the father. And so finally Philip said, Lord, just show us the father. Just show him to us, and that's, that's enough. Do you know what Jesus said to Philip? He said, Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. For anyone who wants to know what is God like, Jesus says, look upon me. Everything to know about God is found in me. And so therefore, the gospel, which is all about Jesus, truly does show us God's righteousness because that's who Jesus is. The glory, the righteousness, the holiness of Almighty God. When we see Jesus, we see all that God is. Perfectly holy and righteous. But if that's all you do, just see Jesus in his perfection and holiness. If that's all you do, all you will be is condemned. You see, because we often think in order to be pleasing to God, I just have to be better than the person next to me. Or I have to just be better than the people I work with. Or perhaps if I, if I just outshine the people of my family, that's enough. And so what we tend to do when we, when we want to try to know, do we please God, we compare ourselves to someone else. Oh, that person goes to church for Bible study? Yeah, but I pray more than they do. So maybe that kind of ekes me out a little bit more. During song service, I can look around. I don't see many people singing, but I know I'm singing really loud. We tend to compare ourselves to each other, but that is the wrong thing to do. Our comparison is Jesus Christ. And when you look at Jesus, his glory, his holiness, his perfect righteousness, we are condemned as sinners because no one can be like Jesus. No one. Later on in Romans, it will say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When we look at Jesus, we are condemned. And we are left hopelessly asking the same question, then who can stand before God? When Jesus came, he didn't come to teach about a way that we can follow. He didn't say, you see everything I do? Now do it just like I did, as best as you can. That's the way to God. Jesus didn't say, okay, I'm going to present you with a set of rules. You see how I live my life? You see how perfectly good and loving and compassionate I am? Then just do what I do. Do it as good as you can, and then that's enough. That's the way to God. Jesus never taught such a thing. Do you know what he did say? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus didn't come and say, look at these rules. This is the way. He said, look upon me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus didn't, didn't say to us, do your best, try your hardest. Because according to the Bible, 
our best righteousness before God is equal to dirty, filthy rags. What we need is something perfect, something holy, as God is holy. Jesus says, I am that way. The way to God is not by practicing good things. The way to God is the person, Jesus Christ. And we also see what God gives in this gospel. What does he give? Well, remember John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God has revealed his righteousness in the gospel of Jesus. Jesus shows us who God is, and he shows us what God gives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, and I'm still having trouble up there. There it is. Listen to what Paul says about what God gives. He says, for he made him. The he is God the Father. The him is God the Son, Jesus Christ. So, for the Father made Jesus who knew no sin because he's perfect and righteous. He knew no sin, but God made him to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When did this happen? When was Jesus perfect in holiness and righteousness? When did he become sin, our sin? It's when he went to the cross. It's when his hands and feet were pierced to that cross of Calvary that he took upon himself your sin. And as he took your sin upon himself, God gave to you the righteousness of Jesus. Almost like a robe, pure, clean, spotless, bright, and white. God took that righteousness of Jesus and like a robe, he put it around your shoulders and he put it on you. That's what this means, that Jesus took your sin and God put upon you the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And I ask you today, do you have such a garment? Now you might say, just like the Israelites did, well, I can wash myself. I can clean my clothing. And yet, when God made his presence known, they shook with terror and fear, and they stood afar off. We need something perfect. We need something holy as God is holy. And it's the righteousness of Jesus. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, again, Paul is speaking here, and he expresses his great desire and need. And his desire and need is to be found in him, that is, Jesus not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, because my own righteousness is just dirty rags. Not good enough. I need something more than that. So he says, but what I need is that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. 
So brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, we need a perfect righteousness. We need to be clothed with that righteousness of Christ. Not our own righteousness, but his. And you say, well, I like that. I need that. How do I receive that? Number two, faith. Faith. Help me out there, Ira. Look again at Romans chapter 1, verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The message that Paul is giving has not changed between verse 16 and verse 17. There is a word that Paul keeps using. The Greek word is pistis. And it's where we get the word faith from or the word to believe in from. And Paul has said this exact word four times in verse 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who, pistis, whoever believes. And now in verse 17, this righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And just a helpful hint. Anytime you read the Bible, if a word is being repeated over and over and over again, the Holy Spirit is trying to get your attention. This word is important. Faith. Faith is what sows all the words of verse 16 and 17 together. Paul says whoever believes in Jesus... They are saved. And now he says, whoever has faith or whoever believes in him, they are declared righteous before God. It is by faith. But this phrase that Paul uses is quite unique. From faith to faith. What does that mean? There are people who have many ideas of possibilities of what it can mean. Some people think it means, faith to faith means from the faith of Paul to the faith of the church in Rome. From my faith to yours, Paul is saying, and that's possible. Other people say, well, no, in verse 16, Paul said that the gospel is for the Jew and also for the Gentile or the Greek. So it's from the faith of the Jews to the faith of the Gentiles, salvation through faith, maybe, but I like these two possibilities the most. What does Paul mean by from faith to faith? I think he means two things. I think he means, number one, only faith, and number two, growing faith. God reveals his righteousness and gives that righteousness by only faith, and through growing faith. Only faith. That faith, when you first put your trust in Jesus Christ, maybe when you were a young person, or maybe last year, or maybe last Sunday, that first faith that just reached out to Christ and said, Lord, save me. At that moment of that wonderful faith, God declared you, righteous. And 10 years from now, 
If I were to ask you, are you saved? If you say to me, well, yes, I have a right standing with God. I am saved because of what Jesus did for me and because of what I've also been able to do for him. If you say that ever, then you have either corrupted faith or perhaps you never knew what faith was to begin with. This righteousness comes to us by only faith. God will not accept anything else from you. None of your works, not your money, not your promises. He accepts faith and only faith. And number two, it is growing faith. Not just only faith, but growing faith. Look back at that faith when you first put your trust in Jesus and where you are today. Now I hope, I hope that what is true is that you have grown as a Christian from that first faith to whatever faith you're in today. I hope you have been growing because that's what God wants to do in you. Throughout life, God will test you. God will try you. God will put you through things and test your heart all so that you will learn to trust in Jesus more and more and more. And we grow in our faith. But the person who has been a believer for 20 years is no more righteous than a person who gives their heart to Jesus right now. It's only faith that the righteousness of Christ clothes you. And you are, what the Bible says, justified, made right. It comes only by faith. And the more we grow in faith, in fact, the more we grow in our relationship with Jesus, we understand that Jesus truly does hold all things together in our life. We should be understanding more and more, I still have nothing to offer into the salvation plan. It's only my faith in Jesus. He alone is a savior. He alone can save me and forgive me. And the more you grow in Christ and the more you understand these things, the more you understand that it's he alone that carries you. It's he alone that holds you together. The Bible says about Jesus that all the worlds, the furthest galaxies, even the earth, our bodies, the smallest molecules of the cells, even the atoms that make up all of matter. Everything throughout the whole world is held together by Christ. And it's Jesus who's carrying everything along. All the laws of physics that the universe follows, it's all by the power of Jesus. He holds everything together. And the Bible tells us that Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted. The brokenhearted. That word broken literally means to be shattered. Shattered into millions of pieces. Like if you were to drop a glass off the table onto the tile floor, it shatters into so many pieces. Do you know what it's like to live in life as though you are shattered? A shattered heart? a shattered hope, enduring what we might call a shattered relationship. Our whole life is a broken-hearted life. It's shattered. 
But the Bible says Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted. That he still can gather all things together and hold it all together. And the more we realize that, the more we realize, yet again, it is Jesus who saves me. Jesus saves me. Jesus sustains me, strengthens me. And the only reason why, years later, I'm still saved, I just keep trusting in Jesus as my Savior. It never changes. Never. And through all the trials and tribulations we go through, through all the failures and the sins that we commit, we keep coming back to this one conclusion. If it wasn't for Jesus, where would we be? If it wasn't for Jesus, we would be lost and hopeless. As a child of God today, if that's who you are, you are who you are today 100% because of Jesus. So Paul shows us this righteousness that is in Christ, who God is and what God gives to you. And you might say, well, yes, I want that robe of righteousness. Oh, it must cost a lot. Is it all the gold in the world? Is it all the silver? Is it all that the earth can afford to give? You know what God says? It's a free gift. Free gift. We trust in Jesus, and God clothes us with his righteousness as a free gift. And number three, the last one, Paul talks about life. Verse 17, once again, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. As it is written. So in other words, Paul is saying, this has already been declared. This has already been written down. You should already know it. And we might say, well, where? Where did Paul get that word from? The just shall live by faith. Who has ever said that? Is Paul talking about some philosophy that he heard about? No. Is Paul talking about a proverb that someone came up with? No. Maybe Paul is taking from another religion of the world. Maybe he's borrowing a teaching from another world religion. No. So then where does Paul get these words from? As it is written, where? It's in the Old Testament. And it was words spoken by God. He spoke to the prophet Habakkuk and God declared the just shall live by faith. The just. The just means someone who's declared righteous, not guilty. As God is righteous, so is the person who is called just. Look at that. The just shall live by faith. The one who is just is just as God is just, is righteous as God is righteous. This is how wonderful and complete and perfect and sure the righteousness of Jesus is as it has been given to you. In the presence of God, we are as he is because we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And Paul says, the just shall live by faith. This was written long before 
Jesus ever came to die for our sin. This wasn't a new idea. The just shall live by faith. And no matter how much the world around us changes, this will never change. It is the same forever. The just shall live by faith. Only faith. And what I love about that phrase is that the way Paul is writing this, he's leaving it open to be translated two different ways. And I'm glad that he did. Because we see it as it is now. The just shall live by faith. But he leaves it open to switch the words around a little bit. You're given permission to interpret it by moving by faith somewhere else in the verse. So in other words, one way to translate it is as it is we, as we see it. The just shall live by faith. But it can also be interpreted as this. The just by faith shall live. And I'm so glad Paul has spoken it in such a way. Because both ways are wonderfully, beautifully true. The just shall live by faith. This is the way of life for us. The just by faith shall live. This is the way to life. First, the way of life. The just shall live by faith. What does that mean? It means that I walk in the reality that I was a sinner and I was deserving of God's wrath and anger and judgment. But Jesus came to live the life I could never live. And he took upon himself my sin. And he died for me. And through his death, I am forgiven of all my sin. He took that punishment and wrath upon himself that I could be forgiven and set free. Jesus died for me and he rose from the dead. And that means he's a living savior today. For all who call upon his name, he is a living savior for all who believe. Now my way of life is to trust in him, period. Period. To trust in him. No matter how I feel, no matter what I've done, no matter what happens to me in this world, the just shall live by faith. My way of life is to trust in Jesus. No matter what I see, no matter what I hear, no matter how I feel, faith alone in Jesus Christ. That's our way of life. But what is the way to life? The just by faith shall live. And not just living this world that we live today, it's speaking about a life to come. We call it everlasting life. We call it eternity. The just by faith shall live. As Jesus said in John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, the same word Paul is using in verse 16 and 17, believe, have faith. He who believes in me, though he may die in this physical, earthly sense, he shall live. The just by faith shall live. And then he says, whoever lives today 
and believes today in me shall never die. You remember that second death we just talked about in the beginning of hell for eternity? We shall never enter into that death. Instead, there is life. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And he says, do you believe this? Do you trust in me when I tell you this? Do you believe? Do you have faith in me, Jesus says, that by faith in me you shall live forever? Do you believe this? And let me close with this. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. If you can help me out there. Romans 5, verse 1 and 2. And I know this is getting ahead of ourselves in the book of Romans, but let me just at least read this to you as we close today's message. Verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith. You hear that? That's a past tense word, meaning this is what has happened already. By faith, you have been justified, made righteous. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have, right now, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. By faith in Jesus, we are made righteous, justified by God. And also we believe that we have a standing before God, a standing of righteousness before the throne of God. Why? Because Jesus has covered us with his righteousness. One day when we stand there and we see God and we are accepted in his presence because of Jesus, we will never say, I can stand before God because of what I, whatever. You will never say such a thing. What we will say is this, God, I stand before you today and forevermore because of what Jesus has done for me. So I am with that question once again. Who can stand before God? We have the answer. Anyone who will put their trust in Jesus Christ, be washed by his blood of all of our sin, and clothed with the glorious righteousness of Jesus. That is the one who is called just and righteous and will stand at the throne of God for all eternity. Do you understand what the Holy Spirit is saying? Do you understand these things? And will you put your trust in Jesus? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Amen. Musicians, if you come, if you would come, before we look to the Lord's communion, let's just spend a moment in prayerful worship 
before God. And consider this message today. We talk about this garment, this robe of Christ. You know, in the Bible, there was a man well known for his robes, Solomon, King Solomon. He had the most glorious robes the world had ever seen and probably so expensive to make. And everybody was at awe at the robes of Solomon. And yet when Jesus came, Jesus said to the people about himself, there is one who stands among you who is greater than Solomon and who has a greater robe, more precious and glorious and righteous than the world has ever seen. This is the robe of righteousness that comes from Christ. Do you have such a garment upon you? Do you? Lord, I pray as we consider these words today in your message, help us, O oh God, to see what you're saying today. That you have revealed who you are. You reveal what you give through Jesus Christ. You are righteous and you give righteousness to whom? To all that have faith in Jesus Christ. And your promise, O oh God, is that we who are called just, we have a way of life, and that is living by faith in Jesus. And we have a way to life, everlasting life. And again, that is by faith in Jesus. But Lord, let that question ring in the heart of every person here. Do I have such a garment? Will I be able to stand before the most holy God one day? Or will I be in terror and fear and tremble, knowing that I am a guilty sinner? And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, what is your answer to that question? Do you have such a garment? Who can stand before God? And if you are here today and you know you need that righteousness of Christ to cover your life, you need Jesus for salvation, you know that on your own you cannot stand before a most holy God, but if you're in Jesus, you have a place at the throne of God. Are you here today? And you would say, yes, God, clothe me with that righteousness of Christ. If that's you today, raise your hand to the Lord. Amen. Let him see your hand. Let that hand that you raise be a sign of faith that is right now reaching out to Jesus. Lord, See my hand. I trust in you. I believe in you. Forgive me of my sin. You have taken my sin upon yourself and you have given me that perfect righteousness. Oh God, for those who reach out to you right now, clothe them. Clothe them with Christ and fill them with your Holy Spirit that they will know that they can indeed stand before the throne of God. Oh, thank you, God, for what you have shown us today. 
thank you, God, that your word, it draws faith out of us. It draws us to Jesus Christ. We're not here for anything else today. Nothing else but to see Jesus and to know that we are saved only through him. So God, help us now to grow in this faith, to keep trusting in Jesus no matter what the world may do to us or whatever we experience in life. We will trust that Jesus alone is the mighty Savior. And he is able to save to the uttermost all who come to God through him. Thank you, God, for such a great salvation. And thank you that you have revealed these things to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And now, Lord, as we consider the communion together, Lord, I pray that you prepare our hearts to remember what Jesus has done. To remember that all history and all future is centered with the cross of Jesus Christ. And today we look back to that cross and we remember what Jesus has done for us. His perfect life that was given upon the cross and the blood which flowed from his head, his hands, and his feet for the cleansing of our sin. You know, church, as we remember these things today, we are called to remember what Jesus has done and, of course, also why he did it. And so every time we share communion together, we are so often reminded we are sinners. We are sinners. And we need to be saved and cleansed and forgiven. Do you remember that first day you came to Jesus and you said, Lord, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sin. When we sin today, it's that same faith that draws you to Jesus once again and says, Lord, I've sinned against you. Forgive me. That same mercy that God showed you in the beginning is the same mercy he shows to you today. It does not change. From faith to faith, God reveals righteousness to you. From faith to faith. As we gather this cup and this cracker here together, Jesus was with his disciples on the night he was betrayed. He was celebrating the Passover meal with them. And at some point during that meal, he first took bread. He took bread and the Bible says he broke it. And he said to his disciples, take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. Receive this and take it in. Make it a part of you. This bread represents that perfect, holy, righteous life of Jesus. And God says that righteousness, receive it. Receive it. I give it to you. The life of Jesus was spotless sinless the life that was crucified was perfect 
and yet he took upon himself your sin. And he gave to you that perfect life. Jesus, thank you. Without your righteousness, without your holy, perfect life, we are still lost in our sins and we still die in our sins. But because you are perfect and God demands that we be perfect and holy, how can we be that unless we are covered with your righteousness? Oh God, we gladly receive the righteousness of Jesus. We gladly receive his perfect life as symboled by this bread. And as we eat of it, we receive Jesus once again. And we ask you, O oh Lord, to fill us with the power of the life of Christ. Let's partake of this bread together. Amen. Jesus then took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant. And it's in my blood. God is doing a new thing. And this new thing that God is doing is made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, God is a redeemer. And he wants to redeem sinners from their slavery of sin and to make them his very own. So God has purchased you at a very high price. The price of the blood of Jesus Christ. While the bread represents that wonderful, righteous life of Jesus, the cup represents his blood. And of that blood, the Bible says, when you sin, God forgives you and he cleanses you washes away, not just on the outside, but inwardly. He cleanses you from all your unrighteousness and all your sins. It is by the blood of Jesus we are washed and made clean before God. And Paul says that when we drink of the cup and we eat of this bread, when we do this together, we're proclaiming, the Lord died for me. And we are proclaiming the Lord is coming back for me. And one day we shall stand in the presence of God and all the angels. And it's because of one thing, Jesus and his righteousness that is given to us. There will be no boasting in heaven except for the one we call Savior and Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you for your blood that indeed cleanses us from all our sin and the power of this blood there is no end to it it is able to forgive even the most wicked of sinners such as i am thank you remind us that this blood is always available to cleanse us over and over again when we come to you and ask for forgiveness thank you jesus for what you've done for us we gladly partake of this as one body of Christ. Let's partake of the cup together. In Jesus' name, amen.